0: At North Point Community Church, we are passionate about helping our community move toward a life fully devoted to Jesus. And we hope this message helps you do that. Thank you for tuning in. Good morning. Glad you're here. Glad you're here watching online. Uh, trust that God's going to speak in some, some great ways this morning. Um, <clears throat> our mission as a church is to help all people move towards a life fully devoted to Jesus. To help all people move towards a life fully devoted to Jesus. That's what, that's what we're about. If you're new, that, that kind of capsulizes everything. Our vision is that everybody who calls North Point home, so everybody who's coming regularly on a consistent basis that would say, yeah, North Point's my church, that you would see Jesus working in your life and that you'd be talking about that with other people. Um, that's that's our vision right now because we feel like when we're doing that, when we recognize how God is working in us, and when we're sharing that with other people, that, that that's gonna compel other people to move towards a life fully devoted to Jesus. It's gonna just draw them in. So uh, we think that's a cool thing. Uh, we've been sharing stories periodically. Um, got another story that we wanna share just to, to start the message off that uh, it's a, just a reminder of uh Jesus working in our life doesn't have to be big, monumental stuff, it's just the normal, everyday stuff of life. So take a look on screen.
1: Hey everyone, um, my name is Miranda Schreiner and um, I'm gonna share our story. We were kinda nudged and encouraged by, uh, by a few people to share our story about how God is moving in our life and for us, not moving in our life is usually tied to actually physically moving. Um, last year, I had to get a background check for work and they needed us to list all the addresses we've lived at for the last 10 years. And I thought, okay, that shouldn't be a big deal. And then I realized I really don't even have all of those addresses. Um, we moved eight times um, in our 12 years of marriage so far. And then about three and a half years ago, um, we moved from Ohio to Michigan, so we've done a lot of moving. And with every move, there's always been, you know, some resistance, some excitement. Um, but God has always showed up every single time in ways that we we couldn't have imagined. Um, and I know for me, I really, really struggle with. I would like to see the entire picture. Like I like to know the next step, and I like to see the start and the finish. And kind of execute upon that plan. But um, throughout all of these processes, um, I'm definitely convicted of the fact that God's gonna do what he needs to do and what he, in his timing. Um, so for me, it's it's been a lot of trusting and a lot of waiting. Um, and I'm really not good with waiting and being patient, but we started coming to North Point um, a few summers back um, and just really love the community. We joined a life group. Really started to get connected and that was really important for me because you know we had just moved here from ohio and i was struggling to make friends so um i really you know loved our life group loved everything about it but we just we weren't in the community and um often we would miss life group because we were on the other side of town and our kids are young so just didn't work out so we were always in the back of our minds like we really wish we could you know kind of find a place and do it you know we just wanted to talk to a realtor about well you know, what if we could move to do it in a couple years or what could we do? And she had an off-market house that um, needed some work, but it was you know, pretty perfect for us and we were willing to do the work. Um, we've actually, our very first house that we ever bought, we worked for the down payment. They had a sweat equity program um, for a new build, so we were kind of used to the work. Uh, this was a, a much bigger project than than we had ever imagined, but we were so excited and we were really excited to be in the community. That was last summer, so in the middle of COVID, we kind of lived in a construction zone for a long time, Um, lived without a kitchen. We all kind of lived in our bedroom together, you know, the four of us and our two dogs. So it was definitely adventure. So we, you know, did our house project and it's actually um, almost complete. And we really, we plan to just stay here, like, again, like, I thought this was our plan. We're executing our plan. We got this house. We're gonna live here. Um, but um, we kind of uh, had some some thoughts in our mind, and you know, with the market the way it is, and we, you know, we had a renovation. We're like, you know, what if, what if this is just all for, um, you know, for a bigger purpose? And I remember going and rewatching Jake's message about, you know, God. He sometimes puts you in the right place at the right time for an opportunity, and the story of you know, the guy that figured out how to win the lottery. And so after, I was really on the fence because I'm like, I love this, we just did all this work. Um, but after that message, I thought, you know, maybe God just put us here to do this and, and we should really trust that there's a, a next step for us in this process as well. So I guess the timing of this, we are actually putting our house on the market tomorrow. And the um, interesting part is we really have no idea what our next step is. So that is again, exciting, but also everything is uncertain. So we're really trusting God. And the other thing is we actually just started back up our life group again. And, you know, we were, one of my most exciting things was that we actually were gonna host this life group. I'm like, we got this new home, we just refinished and it, you know, perfect for hosting. So shout out to our life group, who's probably gonna walk through this process with us as well. So at the timing of when I'm recording this message, Um, We have no idea what's going to be next for us, and we're really excited, Um, but we are going to see what God has in store for us next. So again, trusting in him and trusting in his timing and going from there. Thanks.
0: Can anybody relate to Miranda? Miranda. We have no idea what the next step is, but we're just gonna trust God through the process. That's, that's good, good stuff. Hey, I just wanna encourage you to take some time um, and, and uh, shoot one of those videos. Talk about how Jesus is working in your life because it will be an encouragement to others and, uh, and, and God will use it and he'll use it in you as well. We're in this series called Crazy Talk. Say crazy talk. Crazy talk. Oh, you guys somebody give me a crazy talk. Crazy. Okay, that, that, that's what it was for Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. They, these messages come from the Sermon on the Mount, and we're calling it crazy talk because the stuff Jesus said was crazy. It was like, for the, for the hearers the first time, it was like, where'd that come from? Jake kicked us off last week, and I was sitting out um, you know, in, the, in the auditorium listening to Jake, and, um, and a thought occurred to me. That, that I just had never thought about the Beatitudes. Um, I'm, I'm so appreciative of Jake, Chris, and the, the guys who, who preach. Um, he talked about the Beatitudes as being observational truth rather than aspirational truth. What that means is that, that when Jesus talked through the Beatitudes, he didn't say, oh, show mercy so that mercy will be shown to you. He said, this is observationally true, that when somebody shows mercy to people, they're going to be granted mercy. When somebody mourns, they're going to be comforted because they're a, a mourner. They're, uh, when somebody hungers and thirsts for righteousness, they're going to be filled because that's what God does. He fills that void. Observational truth. Um, when we were talking about the message before Jake preached it, he came in my office and uh, he, he's told you that before he comes to my office a lot. Um, and he said, "He said, man, the Beatitudes are hard because there are so many left turns. It's like there's this thought, this other thought, and, and and how do you connect them all? And I said, keep studying because there's a common thread in them. It's interesting to me as you come out of the Beatitudes and go into the section of scripture that we're gonna look at today, if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, that's where we're gonna go, or open up the app, that's where we're gonna be, that it feels like there's a left turn again. It's like, He's been talking about the Beatitudes, about how people are blessed when they experience these things. And then, if you're looking at your Bible, then there's this heading that says Salt and Light. It's like, wait, where'd that come from? But it's not really a left turn. Because Jesus has been saying, when when God is working in your life, when you're pursuing your relationship with him, these are the the kind of blessings that you're going to receive. And when you're pursuing him, this is what it's going to look like. Listen to what Jesus said You are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it's lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It'll be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. Instead, A lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly father. This is what it looks like. This is how you're blessed when you follow Jesus, when you have the right kind of relationship with God. When you have the right kind of relationship with God, it's going to show to the world. Um, the, the, The person who is pursuing God, who's living out the mission of God. A person who's changed by God, Jesus says, is going to be salt or light. Salt comes alive, doesn't it, when it comes in contact with something that is different in its nature than salt itself. So when you put salt on a steak, it like, oh, that's good stuff, right? And all of you are thinking right now, I want to go to Outback, right? For lunch. Salt on a steak is, is great. Salt. When it comes in contact with vegetables, makes them edible, right? Uh, it adds something to it. When you put salt on popcorn, it just makes you want to turn on a movie, right? It's, it changes that. And salt, if you've got some sores on your skin, when salt touches those things, it hurts like fire, doesn't it? You jump into the ocean when you've got some cuts and scrapes and, and bruises, and man, that salt will just... It will light you up. Salt, when it comes in contact, it impacts that thing that it contacts. Same thing with light. Light is fundamentally different than darkness. When you're walking around in the dark and all of a sudden there's a light, the light dispels the darkness. It moves it out of that space. All of a sudden you can see things that you couldn't see before. All of a sudden things become much clearer. Light, when it comes into darkness, just Moves it out of the way. Jesus said, "You're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. Your connection with God should be so consistent, so clear, so um, so plain to the world because of that connection to God. It's just evident everywhere that you look." Jesus said. in the same way, let your good deeds, let the way that you live, your connection to God, shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Jesus didn't say you're salt so that people would look at you. Didn't He didn't say that you'll be like light so that people will say, oh, you're a great person. You're salt and light so that God gets the glory, so that people see him in a way that they've never seen him before. That brings up some really Important questions, doesn't it? If you're a follower of Jesus, can people actually see my faith being lived out in my life? Can they see my relationship with God when I'm getting gas, when I'm driving down the road, when I'm shopping at Meyer? Can they see that when I encounter struggles at work, when, I, when, when there are difficult things that are going on in my life? Maybe an even deeper question is. As as you really stop to think about it, it, is my faith real? Is my relationship with God real? Am I salt and light? Because of that, or maybe it's not there at all. And and then you ask a question to say, well, how do I discern that? Do I discern that by by comparing to other people? Is my faith, is my faith better than my partner? Better better maybe than the faith of my parents, better than the faith of my Pastor, and we do this comparison thing, right? It's interesting because, because we think, oh, that's not right. And yet, Jesus compares our faith. He compares the way that we live out our faith in this passage of scripture. We're going to see a little bit later a real clear comparison that he does. But he says uh, initially, yeah, you're salt, you're light. Your faith is compared to salt and light. Um, comparison's a funny thing. It's, um, it's easy to compare ourselves. To others, um, we tend to measure ourselves by comparison. We say, "I'm so much better looking than that person." Someone smile, laugh, do something. I, uh, you know, we say, "I'm so much skinnier than they are." Um, at my stage, I say, "Oh, I'm in so much better shape than that person who's my age." That. That's uh, just a couch potato. We, we, we look at the externals. I'm so much smarter than that person. We look at the externals and we compare ourselves to try and justify where we are. But it's not just with externals. We do it with the stuff that's inside us too. We say, oh, man, I, I'm better than most people. Uh, this is a conversation I have with people a lot, where they say, "You know what? I'm better than I'm better than most people. I don't do drugs. I don't beat my wife. I don't beat my kids. Um, I don't drink and drive. You know what? I'm, I'm I'm I don't watch dirty movies. I don't go to strip clubs. I don't lose my temper like that person. I don't waste my money. Um, you know, I haven't stooped so low as to cheer for Ohio State. Uh, but, uh, you know, I'm better than most people. I don't gossip like." That person that that's in the office that they told me did can you believe they told me the other day about that guy he got all his money from winning the lottery, and he's fathered four kids from four different wives and he's going bankrupt. I would never gossip like that person, just want to make that clear okay we We say you know i'm better than most people sometimes sometimes we say, uh, maybe I don't do those things all the time, but I do more good than bad. I do do some of those bad things, but I do more good than bad. I help my neighbor when I can. You know, I give blood when when the church does a blood drive. I go to church more often than I don't. I'm a good person. I do more good than bad. And so we compare ourselves to others in kind of an arbitrary way. And we convince ourselves that we're in good shape. When we compare and it makes it makes us feel good about ourselves. That's a faulty comparison. Please don't miss that. It compares to the wrong thing. Because frankly, we're all a mess. If, if we're judging on a scale of one to 10 and I'm at a negative one and you're at a negative four, that doesn't help me to say I'm just not as bad as you. I've still missed the mark so completely. A comparison that helps us discern what's authentic, what's real, and what's counterfeit, that's a comparison that can help us. Did you know that the Department of Treasury, people who work for the Department of Treasury, for the FBI, for the Secret Service, that that specialize in counterfeiting, they they learn how to determine counterfeit money not by studying counterfeit money, they learn how how to find counterfeit money by studying authentic U.S. currency that they teach them to look at the at the bills and to tilt them and to look at the sides and to look at where the print is elevated and to look at the things that are imprinted into it that you can only see as you look through the bill, all those kinds of things. So that when they encounter a, a counterfeit, a false bill, they recognize it right away. Those agents don't um, take a look at counterfeit Counterfeit and authentic and say, oh, you know what? This counterfeit is so much better than this counterfeit. So uh, we're only gonna prosecute these guys with these counterfeit bills. We're gonna let this one go because it's a good counterfeit, right? Not at all. They say it's either authentic or it's not. That's the challenge for us. Jesus said the depth of our relationship with God is gonna make us live like salt, um, Seasoning, preserving the world around us. The depth of our relationship with God is gonna make us like light in a dark place, exposing things that have been hidden. The the problem for us is we recognize that our relationship with God is so important, but, but there's this longing for the world. We compare ourselves to the world. And sometimes we think, you know what? I don't wanna miss out on what they're experiencing. And so we drift that way and become counterfeit Christians, counterfeit followers of Jesus. Paul wrote to the church in Rome and he said this, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Um, That pulled the world for us, to conform to the world. it permeates into our lives if we're not constantly pursuing a relationship with God. Um, there, there are lots of us that say, yeah, I love Jesus, but our lives look just like the rest of the world. We struggle with the same struggles, the same fears, the same anxiety, the same, we have the same reactions to the things that happen to us. We have the same driving habits, the same social media posts. We have the same financial struggles jesus said someone who's serious about knowing and pursuing and following god that's no different than the rest of the world is like salt that has lost its ability to be salty and that that faith is worthless it doesn't mean anything it's just ready to be thrown out it has no value How much time do you spend trying to be, trying to live like the rest of the world? You know, there, there's this uh, there's this Christian stereotype that exists in the media, right? A, a Christ follower is a woman with a bunch of kids who homeschools, who has long hair, who doesn't wear jewelry or makeup, uh, who wears out of date clothes from Walmart, right? That's the stereotype that's there. It's a a man who's uneducated, who's close-minded, who's judgmental, who's Republican, who's Bible-thumping and hypocritical, who doesn't like to laugh or have fun and probably beats his kids. Um, That's that's the stereotype that's there, right? Someone shake their head because I got that off the internet, so it has to be true, right? (laughs) Um, That's the picture. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're really a follower of Jesus, you want to say, no, 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 that's not me. But sometimes we try and communicate that to the world in a way that misses the mark. We try and say, oh, I'm I'm a better version than that. And that counterfeit, we become a counterfeit to the counterfeit, rather than to pursue the authentic relationship with God. What we need to do is to draw near to Jesus, to pursue God with our whole hearts, because who you are is a lot more important than what other people think about you, right? Who we are matters more than whether we connect to the world, whether we're like the world, whether we compare ourselves better or worse to others, Go back to what Jesus said. Jesus said, it's an observational truth that if you're really pursuing God, your life is going to be different. You're going to be blessed. You're going to be like salt and light. Others are going to be able to compare you to the way the rest of the world acts and to know that something's different. And the difference is going to show up in the way that you respond to the commands of God. Jesus goes on to say this, verse 17 Don't misunderstand why I've come. I didn't come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you'll be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's law and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. I don't have time to dive into those verses nearly as deeply as I would like, but let me just touch on it for a second this morning. Jesus said, I didn't come to throw away the law of Moses or what the prophets said. I came to fulfill the purpose for which they were given. Um, none of, he, he says, none of God's law will disappear until the purpose for which it was given has been achieved. And Jesus said, and this was crazy talk. Jesus said, I am that purpose. I've come so that that purpose would be fulfilled. That's crazy, right? Jesus was saying to people whose lives were invested in the Old Testament law, I, I'm here and I'm going to fulfill that purpose. Every, Jesus is essentially saying everything in the Old Testament is backstory. what's going to happen in my life. It's all foundational. It's uh, It's all been God working upstream to set the stage for what we now know is true, that Jesus came as God in the flesh to go to the cross and die in our place, to take our sin on himself. And then he rose from the grave and he ascended into heaven and he's waiting for eternity for us to join him around the throne of God. We know that now. That was the purpose for which he came. That's the purpose why the law and the prophets were given. But they didn't know it at that time. They thought it was crazy. uh, the, The people didn't understand. And then Jesus said this, and it was incredibly crazy talk. But I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. See the comparison? Jesus said, unless you're more righteous than the Pharisees, better than them, more righteous than them, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. The, what, was, what made it so crazy was the righteousness of the Pharisees is what everyone looked up to. Everyone said, that's the standard. That's how I've got to live. The, the scribes, the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, they were guys who had their PhD in religious law keeping. They, they, everything, their job was to learn the Old Testament law and to obey every ounce, every nuance of the law. And they lived that out in a way that their righteousness was seen by everyone in the community. Um, you know, in the Jewish dictionary, under the word righteous, it was a picture of a Pharisee. That, that's who it was. That's what everyone, uh, everyone knew that that's what they were aspiring to No one thought that they could be as righteous as a Pharisee. But the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, were just going through the motions. They were keeping the commandments for show, to earn their way into God's presence, to earn the right to be called the children of God. They did it so that they could compare themselves to others and say, I'm so much better than than those poor people who don't know how to obey the law. Their actions were right, but their hearts were far from God. Even though they knew the law, they studied the law, they taught the law, they obeyed the law, they were missing the purpose for which the law had been given. In an encounter with the Pharisees later um, in, in Jesus' ministry that Matthew records, Jesus says, the Pharisees were so righteous that they understood that they needed to tithe, that there was a command to tithe, and they were tithing even pieces of mint that they raised in their garden. This is Matthew twenty-three, twenty-three. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of the religious law, you Pharisees? You're hypocrites. For you're careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the, most, the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but don't neglect the more important things. Man, the Pharisees tithe everything. Do you understand that? They, they tithe like their graduation gifts, their birthday presents. They tithe their stimulus checks. They tithed the money that they saved on the coupons that they gave out at Myers, right? They they, they tithed everything. And Jesus said, that's the right thing to do. God has blessed you. Give back to him in a proportionate way. But you've missed the thing that's the most important. What could be more important than obeying the law? A heart relationship with God. Knowing him experiencing his love and sharing that back. The Pharisees looked for legal correctness and Jesus was looking for love. The Pharisees stressed keeping the law, period. Jesus cared about why the law had been given to them. You can't have the kind of righteousness that that Jesus is talking about on your own. It can only come by the power of the Holy Spirit out of a relationship that you have. With God. Um, I, I was thinking about how I could illustrate this, and it made me think about a, a situation with a family here at North Point uh, four or five years ago. Um, you know, when you have someone in your family who needs care, and they, you know, they need full time caregiver, or whatever, and and they go into a facility or they go into hospice or whatever it is. Um, and, and you write the check for their care. And you you do that willingly. That's the expectation. These people are gonna provide care that you can't provide. And so you're gonna write the, the check for them. This particular family that that's in my mind, um, the man went into hospice, into a hospice facility because his health was failing. But he didn't, uh, but they knew it, he wasn't on the verge of death. And he actually lived there uh, more than six months, uh, almost eight months in, in hospice. His wife was there Every day in the facility should go in the morning, eight o'clock, should stay until eight o'clock at night with him every day, all the time. She's writing the check to, you know, to make sure that he got the care that he did, did that willingly. That was the least expectation. But what she found in that facility was that the people loved her husband. They took great care of him. And, and so she began to shower them with expressions of love as well. She she bought him presents at Christmas. She gave him birthday presents. She made things for him. She brought in food for him to eat. She she just loved these people knowing that they loved her husband. It's easy for us to to have this mindset that says, um, we're going to obey the law because that's what God wants. That's the least that we can do. That's what we're supposed to do. But Jesus said, no, 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 no. I want you to fall in love with the God who made you with God who saved you. I want you to be so aware of his presence that you're thinking about him all the time and that and that you're going to love him um, every day, all the time. And that's why you do the things that you do. For that woman to write the checks for the care for her husband, was it, it was something that, that, that was a pleasure because of the, the care that he got. Um, Jesus didn't say, we have to be more righteous than the Pharisees by following a fanatical list of do's and don'ts. He said, instead, we have to have a better kind, a better, a better righteousness than the Pharisees, one that comes out of our relationship with God. Matthew Henry, a Bible scholar in the 17th and 18th century, wrote, we must do more than the Pharisees and better than the Pharisees or we shall come short of heaven. We must give God our hearts. The Pharisees minded only the outside, but we must make conscious of inside godliness. The Pharisees aimed at the praise and applause of men, but we must aim at the acceptance of God. The Pharisees were proud of what they did in religion and trusted to it as righteousness. But we, when we have done all, must deny ourselves and say, we are unprofitable servants and trust only to the righteousness of Christ. And thus we may go beyond the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. How can we have a righteousness greater than the Pharisees? It's, it's to have a righteousness that's characterized by a consuming pursuit of God, that we're thinking about him all the time. How, what's God thinking of what I'm doing? Oh, I wonder what God is thinking of me. Oh man, God loves this. He's created this for me to enjoy. God is so good. Oh, man, he's protecting. We're thinking about him all the time. How can we have a righteousness that's great enough, Pharisees? It's a righteousness that's characterized by humility, by tenderness, by understanding both our own sinfulness that separates us so badly from God and our value to God, that he would send his son to die in our place to bring us into relationship with him. It's a righteousness righteousness that gives freedom and not a burden. It's a righteousness like salt and light that's bold, that contacts the world around us. It challenges us with, with its presence and words, that righteousness that lives not in quiet acceptance of the rest of the world, but stands boldly and says, no, this is who God is. This is who I am. And this is the way I'm gonna live. That may be crazy talk, but it's gonna result in a difference that the world can see. A difference that the world can't really comprehend. But that's what we're called to. Jesus knew what he was talking about. You are the salt of the earth. You were the light of the world. That's crazy talk. But crazy can change the world. Let's pray. Lord, um, we thank you for the scripture and how it just rattles our worldview, how it changes the way that we think and, and, and calls us to you. God, we know that you don't just want obedience in a burdensome way. That you want us to respond with love to you. God, help us to sense your presence. Help us to be drawn to you. Help us, God, to to know how deep your love is for us. In Jesus' name we pray.